like the Lord is doing a couple of things in, in worship as well. If you've got your Bibles, let's do this. Let's, let's get, let's get set up. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter eight. We're going to read verses five through 15. Or if you use an app, pull that up on your app. Luke chapter eight, verses five to five through 15. Um, during one of the songs at the very beginning of the song, I had this high pitched like ring ringing in, in my ear. And I felt like uh, the Lord was, was wanted to heal people who maybe you have a ringing in your ear, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's called tinnitus. Is that right? Yeah. So if you've got a ringing in your ear or if you're like losing the hearing in one of your ears, um, we want to pray for you. So if that's, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something a little odd. I just want you to stick your finger in your ear. Seriously, if, you're, if you've got ringing in your ears or if you're losing the hearing in one of your ears, just stick your finger in that ear, whatever ear you've got the problem in. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release your healing power and your presence over these ears. God, I command that ringing to stop in Jesus' name. God, that annoying, irritating, continuous, constant ringing in the ears, that it would be silenced in Jesus' name. And that the hearing would be returned and restored to that of a childlike state in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, wanted, I want to, um, I felt like the Lord wanted to do some stuff in families today. And so if, you, if you've got a prodigal uh, child, I just want you to, I just want to lift, just lift your hand. Someone who's kind of walked away from the Lord, just lift your hand. We're going to pray for you. We're going to believe that the prodigals are coming home. I believe that it's, it's God's will that the families are in the church, in the house of God, worshiping together. So Father, you see every hand raised. Every hand raised represents at least one child that's far away from you. And I pray, God, that you would pour out your kindness upon them. For your word tells us that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not wrath. It's not anger. It's not hellfire and brimstone, but it's your kindness. So would you pour out your kindness on the prodigals and call them home and that you would even somehow remind them of what shall be said today that there is their place at the table is still there. Their chair has not been moved. It has not been filled. We are waiting with open arms for them in Jesus' name. And if you've got um, just brokenness in your family, the relationship in your family is, is not, it's not good. Just raise your hand because we want to pray over just broken families. Father, I pray that you would heal relationships. There is pain and brokenness and hurt and wounds and trauma. And I pray that you would bring healing by the power of God. Do what only you can do. God, in, there's, there's even instances, I just, I just sense there's instances where there is uh, decades of disputes stacked upon disputes, almost like family feud. I pray that it would end in Jesus' name. And I release peace over the families and healing. <sighs> Amen. And the last thing that I wanted to, I felt like he wanted to do this morning before we, before I, I speak, is if you've dreamt about um, starting a business, about owning a business, being a business owner, I felt God say during worship that he's releasing business opportunities, ideas, blessing, and favor. And so if that's you and you're like, man, I've always wanted to own a business, or I've just, I've wanted to, I, like, I just want a good idea for a business, just lift your hand. I believe that God's going to release those things over us this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you release divine creativity 
over these with their hands raised who would say, like, I want to own a business. I want to create something that is going to uh, bless families, that's going to bless the earth, that's going to bless their family, that's going to be a source of provision in Jesus' name for the kingdom of God. So I pray that you would release the ideas creativity, the favor, the blessing, and the divine supernatural connections, and the finances to start these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. All right. Are you in Luke chapter 8? Yeah, come on. God is so good. I, I don't... So this is funny. I don't know why I'm opening my Bible because this is uh, uh, the Amplified Translation and I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. So I have it here. <laughs> opening my Bible to Luke chapter 8 that I'm not going to read. All right, Luke chapter 8 from the Passion Translation. says, Starting verse 5, it says, A farmer went out to sow seeds for a harvest. As he scattered his seeds, some of them fell on the hard pathway and were quickly trampled down and unable to grow and became nothing but bird seed. Some fell on the gravel, and though they sprouted, they couldn't take root. It withered for a lack of moisture. Other seeds fell where there was nothing but weeds. They too were unable to grow to full maturity, for the weeds choked them out. Yet some of the seeds fell into good, fertile soil, and they grew and flourished until they produced more than a hundredfold harvest, a bumper crop. Then Jesus added, shouting for all who would hear, Listen with your heart, and you will understand. Later, his disciples came to him privately to ask him what deeper meaning they could find in the parable. And then he said this, you've been given a teachable heart to perceive the secret hidden mysteries of God's kingdom realm. But to those without a listening heart, my words are merely stories. Even though they have eyes, they are blind to the true meaning of what I say. And even though they listen, they won't receive full revelation. Here then is the deeper meaning to my parable or story. The word of God is the seed that is sown into hearts. The hard pathway represents the hard hearts of those who hear the word of God, but the slanderer quickly snatches away what was sown into the hearts to keep them from believing and experiencing salvation. The seeds falling on gravel represent those who initially respond to the word with joy, but soon afterward, when a season of difficulty and harassment of the enemy comes to them, they wither and fall away for they have no root in the truth and their faith is temporary. The seeds that fall into the weeds represent the hearts of those who hear the word of God, but their growth is quickly choked off by their own anxious cares, the riches of this world, and the fleeting pleasures of this life. This is why they never become mature and fruitful. The seed that fell into the good fertile soil represents those lovers of truth who hear it deep in their hearts. They respond by clinging to the word, keeping it dear as they endure all things in faith. This is the seed that will one day bear much fruit in their lives. Father, I pray that you would uh, take the words that I believe that you've given me, the words of Jesus from this story, and that you would release a spirit of wisdom and revelation over us, that we would encounter the person of Jesus in the message today, and that you would change hearts and lives. Amen. So there are four types of soil in this, uh, in this story. We have the hard pathway, the gravel, the weeds, and then the good fertile soil. Now the disciples, as Jesus is telling this, this story, the disciples didn't get it, which is this, this is a constant theme throughout the gospels. There's many things that the disciples just didn't get. So they didn't understand the story Jesus had told. And so later in secret, they come to him and they say, would you please explain the deeper meaning of the story of what you just told? And it's interesting, the reason that Jesus gives for, for telling the story. 
He tells, he says the reason is, is that the, so that the meaning and the lesson would be hidden from those that weren't really interested in understanding. I find it very interesting that oftentimes we, we talk about how Jesus is the greatest storyteller who ever told stories, who ever lived, and he was the greatest storyteller. But he wasn't the greatest storyteller to communicate all of the truths. It was so that he could hide the truths of the kingdom of God within the stories. So that those people who were listening, but really didn't have an interest in hearing or understanding what he was saying, that the story would be like, oh, that's a nice story. I understand the seeds and the ground and the birds. Yeah, that's a good, good, good story. But those that really wanted to hear and understand, who would ask the truth and who would, who would seek out and ask the questions, then the deeper revelation, the deeper truth of the story would be opened up for them. See, he doesn't Jesus' stories were intended to hide truth for us. So if you're hungry and you're interested, then you'll go and you'll, you'll dig up the truth. He's not there to hide things from us, but he's out there, he's hiding things for us to find. He's like, I like to say he's like the world's worst player of hide and go seek. Right? Like when your kids are, are little, you know, like, like Nathaniel's like two years old, you're playing hide and seek with them. You don't hide so that they can never find you. You're like, oh, I'm going to, here, I'm going to hide behind this mic stand. You're never going to find me. And then you, you do this, right? And you're pretending to hide. This is what the Lord is doing. He's, he's like pretending to hide so that we will find, but only those who are really interested in looking, will they, will they find. It says in Proverbs 25 and verse two, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. We are the kings. He hides things for us, not from us. Okay, back to our parable. I want to ask you a question. Who's responsible for the condition of the soil that the seed is sown into? See, Jesus explains that the soil is hearts. It's our hearts, and the seed is the word of God. So who's responsible for the condition of of your heart? Who's responsible for the condition of my heart? Is it the Lord who's responsible for the condition of my heart? No, it's not the Lord. Sorry, I'm going to ask. That was a trick question. <laughs> See, if, if it was the Lord who was responsible for the condition of my heart, then that means everything's predetermined. And we're just walking out a, a script that's already been written and we don't actually have choices, which is contrary to what the Bible teaches, that we have a free will. I am free to make whatever choice that I want to make. The Lord does not control my choices. See, there's a difference between foreknowledge, knowing what's going to happen, knowing what choices I'm going to make, which the Lord knows, and then predetermining them that I don't actually have a choice. See, God doesn't predetermine our choices. He knows, he foreknows our choices. God's not responsible for the condition of my heart. So is it random chance? Are we just, honestly, are we just a product of our environment? No, we're not just a product of our environment because then that, that honestly removes all accountability. How can I possibly be held accountable for my life when I'm just a product of my family? I'm just a product of the, of, the, of, the, of the rotten circumstances that I was born into and grow, grown up with. When I, when it's like terrible things happened to me that were outside of my control where a horrible person wounded me and there was trauma in my life. I'm not held responsible because that's the, that's, that, that causes the condition of my heart. Every person is accountable for what they do with the word of God in their lives. 
So the condition of your heart is not determined by random chance. I and I alone am responsible for the condition of my heart. I determine what happens with the seeds of God that are sown into my life. See, any other option than my personal responsibility is just passing the buck off to somebody else. Well, it's, <laughs> it's not my fault. It was like that when I got here, right? I mean, <laughs> just name any politician you want, and that's really what they're going to say. Well, it's not my fault. This is what it looked like when I got here. And then when they are out of the office many, many years later, you know, the next person says the exact same thing. It's not my fault. It was like this when I got here. Right? But we're supposed to take personal responsibility for what happens in our lives. I can't blame anyone else. I can't blame anything else for the condition of my heart. And there's another story that Jesus told about three servants that were each given different amounts of money. And they were told to invest the money by their, by their master. Two of them received larger amounts and they both ran off quickly and they invested the money and they brought increase to what was given. And then the one that received the smaller amount did nothing with it. It actually says that he dug a hole in the ground and he put the money in there. And then he just waited for the master returns. So the master returns and the two with the larger amounts of money, they brought their investments and the, and the return on the, on the money. But then the, the one who got the smaller amount just dug it up from the ground and brought it back to the master and says, here, this, this is what you gave me. I didn't lose it. And he's all excited about it. Like, I, I didn't lose it. But in the story, the master calls him a wicked, lazy servant and takes away what was given to him and he throws him outside into what the Bible calls utter darkness. See, the Lord requires us to have personal responsibility for what we do with what he has given us. It doesn't matter how much you've been given. Like we, I think it's just, it's our broken human nature. We look around and we're like, wow, Look at Stephen. Look at the skills that Stephen's been given. I haven't been given what Stephen's been given. Like he got, you know, the 10 talents and I'm over here with one talent. And we, we, we look around and we compare, but it doesn't matter how much you've been given or whether or not you like what you've been given in life. What matters is what you do with it. Because if a person receives 10 talents, you know, and they do nothing with it, but I get one and I, and I maximize and I bring a hundredfold return, then, then what I've done with what I've been given is better than someone who does nothing with it. See, I, you have to take personal responsibility. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. So let's look at the four soil types. The first one was the hard pathway. This is the hard-hearted person. They receive nothing from the Lord because their hearts are closed and they're like hearts of stone almost. So when the word of God is, is sown onto their life and onto their hearts, the seed just sits right on top of the soil and it doesn't, it doesn't penetrate, nothing happens. And then it says that the, the birds come away and they steal, they steal the seed. It just becomes bird food. It can't penetrate. It gives the enemy an opportunity to take away what the Lord has spoken and said. There's a time in my life when I was about 20 years old, that I, I was a hard-hearted person. I, I, honestly, I was as hard-hearted as, as they come. I wanted to hear nothing about church. I wanted to hear nothing about Jesus. I was just, I was so closed. This is how hard-hearted I was. Mother's Day came around, and my mom um, 
she, she called me up and she said, Hey, Mother's Day's coming. Listen, I don't want you to give me anything for Mother's Day this year. Don't even get me a card, no presents, no nothing. All I want for Mother's Day is for you to come to church with me. We've got this, uh, there's some kind of guest speaker who was coming through and there was, and I was like, no, no, not doing that. And that was the end of the conversation. So hard-hearted, in fact. I, had an, I have an older brother, and um, he wasn't serving the Lord either, wasn't a Christian. And he went to church. And I found out he went to church while I wasn't at church. Um, and later that afternoon, I waited till I figured he was home, and I called him. And I called him up, and I said, you went to church this morning with mom? Yeah. You sucker. And I laughed at him and I made fun of him on the phone for going. That's how hard-hearted I was. Wanted to hear nothing about it. But God's got a way and I, I, like, I, I call him Jehovah Sneaky when he does this. Because there's only one time in my life, only one time of the day when my hard-hearted defenses were down. It was when I was sleeping. You got no defense for what the Lord wants to say to you when you're asleep. And so I would sleep in my bed and, and honestly, the Lord, um, and I know it was the Lord, the Lord gave me nightmares and I had two reoccurring nightmares, the same ones back to back over and over, over and over for weeks. And I would wake up out of a dead sleep and I'd be like, and I'd be in this cold sweat. They were so real. And I'd go back to sleep the next nightmare and I did the same thing over and over and over. But the Lord was speaking to me. And then I began to make some choices in my life to soften my heart and to allow the word of God to be planted in me. I may have laughed. <laughs> I may have laughed at my brother that day, but Jesus and my mom had the last laugh as there came a day when I, I, came, I came back because I'd softened my heart. So there's been lots of people that I've met who've been hard-hearted over the years. And ever since... Ever since what happened to me, I always pray, God, Jesus, get them when they sleep. Just get them when they sleep. You know, our hearts can even be hardened as followers of Jesus. You, you have a relationship with the Lord. You can still have a hard heart because we allow things like offense, things like wounds and unforgiveness and sin in our lives. And these things slowly begin to take our hearts and make them hard. And where we become, we become like closed off and we no longer are able to receive anything from the Lord. The, the revelation of scripture, it just comes and it sits on the surface of our hearts and the enemy just comes and steals it away. So you have a relationship with him, but you're not growing because you're just, you're cold and you're hard hearted. And we're resistant to wise counsel. We're resistant to discipleship. And we're resistant to correction. I mean, nobody likes correction, but there's a difference when you have a soft heart and a hard heart. And what this does is it causes all of our growth and our maturity in the Lord to stop. Hosea 10 and verse 12, he prophes Hosea prophesies, says, sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, Break up the fallow or the hard ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. It's my responsibility to ensure my heart is not hard. That second um, soil type was gravel. And your, if your translation might say like rocks or shallow soil that covers the rocks. This is the, this is the heart that receives the word of God. But then when difficult times come, they fall away. 
I'm, I'm sure we can all think of people that, you know, we talked to them about Jesus or we brought them to church with us and then they, they like were super excited. And they were like, they, they, they were just full of joy. And they're like, yes, I received it. But then after a little bit, like it, life, life got tough. And there were some difficult times that, 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 that they walked into. And they just kind of slowly stopped showing up. And they fell away. Trials, temptations, attacks from the enemy, disappointments. And then they just wither up. See, their faith didn't last because there was no root to hold them through to the other side of the hard times. Man, following Jesus isn't for the faint of heart. Following Jesus, you know, it's it's not easy. Jesus doesn't, doesn't call us just to simply start strong. He calls us to finish well right? Finish well. No matter, and finish well no matter how long it takes. See, following Jesus isn't a sprint. It's an ultra marathon. And quitting, quitting at the end, you know, with a quarter mile left in an ultra marathon means you didn't finish. Like you didn't finish. Where I, where I grew up, small mountain town, uh, they, they came up with this ultra marathon race called the Great Canadian Death Race. And they, they did, you've heard of this, it's, just, it's crazy. Um, and they did this to generate tourism and income for, the, for the sm- this small town. And what it is, it's a 77 mile race and you summit three mountains. So you go up and down three mountains and you have, if you run it by yourself, cause you can run it as an individual or you can run it on a team. If you run it on a team, everybody runs a marathon. Right, but if you run it as an individual, you get all 77 miles by yourself and you have 24 hours to finish. I've got many friends who run it in teams, but I've got two friends that I went to high school with and they, they ran it as individuals, not at the same time. My first friend, he ran it and he started, he started strong. He started well. He was in great shape. And about, you know, mile 30, he pulled his hamstring. And so there's along the way, there's these checkpoints. You've got to check in and you have to stop, right? And it gives you a chance to eat and and take in water and stuff like that. And so he was in a lot of pain. So he started popping ibuprofen to help with the pain. The problem was, is that dehydrated him. And then he started to, you know, get dizzy and he was hallucinating. He couldn't keep any water in and he eventually, eventually passed out on the path. And they actually had to fly a helicopter in to take him off the top of one of the mountains. He didn't finish. He started well, but he didn't finish. My other friend, his name is Coleman. He, uh, he started and he, he was just slow and steady, slow and steady. And the last part of the race, you had to cross this river and then climb up this huge embankment. And he, he's like, he's like knocking on the door of 24 hours. There's only, he's only got a few minutes left and he crosses the river. He climbs the, he climbs the hill and he crosses the finish line with 30 seconds before the 24 hour mark. He finished the race. It doesn't matter how fast you finish, you finish. See, we're not only called to start our walk with Jesus strong, but we are called to finish it well. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you sprint across the finish line or if you're on your hands and knees crawling and you're saying, I'm not giving up as long as you finish because we're called to finish and finish well. See, it's interesting here the why that Jesus gives for the plant dying. When he tells the story in verse seven, he says it's because of a lack of moisture. But then in the explanation to the disciples, he says that it was difficult times and harassments of the enemy that caused the plant to wither. That's, that's interesting because I think what Jesus is saying, it's not, it's not either, either or, it's both and. See, there's no one sitting here that's going to be immune from hard times. 
from trials, temptations, and difficulties. But if it, so if it was, if it was trials, temptations, and difficulties, attacks of the enemy that took, that caused plants to wither and die, none of us would be here, right? So when those things come, it's the lack of moisture that's caused the roots to not go deep. So when the difficult times come, where there's a lack of moisture, the plant dries up and dies. In the Bible, water, moisture is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in um, John somewhere, John 7, there it is. Jesus in John chapter 7 says, whoever comes to me, which means whoever receives the word of salvation and gives their life to him and begins to follow him and walk with him, he says, then rivers of living water will come from their innermost being and will flow out of them. This is talking about the Holy Spirit living inside of us and flowing out of us. See, it's not the hard times that cause people to fall away, to, to shrivel up and you know, dry up and die. It's a lack of engagement with the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of them. It's a lack of moisture, a lack of water that causes people to give up. See, if I've got a strong relationship with the Holy Spirit, then I can make it through the hard times. I can make it through the attacks of the enemy. I can make it through the, you know, the, the dark night of the soul or the valley of the shadow of death. Whatever, whatever comes my way, if I've got that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, I can make it through. If I've received the baptism of the Spirit, if He's filled my life to overflowing, if I'm in Him and He's in me, then I can make it through. So I have to ask you this morning, how's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Are you dry? Do you lack moisture? Here's the thing. You don't need to go anywhere looking for the water because it's already on the inside of you. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and he takes up residence inside of you and that is the source of the living waters that Jesus talked about in John 7. So it's not like I gotta go run around for, to find the, the next thing or, or this or that or find someone to pray for me. It's right here. I just need to engage with the river that's already inside of me. I need to take time and I need to pray. I need to ask him to, to, to fill me and to refresh me. I need to listen for his voice. I need to seek the baptism of the Holy Holy Spirit, where, where I'm just completely, not, like not only is, is, is he in me, but I'm fully immersed in him. And then when that happens, he gives us this, this prayer language. And then it's called praying in tongues. And then we're, we need, you need to engage in that. So if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and you've got a prayer language, you need to be using that, not just once a day, but like throughout the day. That's engaging with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's making the decision to tap into the living water that's already in you. And then there was the weeds. Some seeds fell in soil that was full of weeds. And your translation might say thorns. And what it says is as they choked the plant out. The plant didn't die, but it just didn't grow any fruit. There was, there was no harvest there. The plant didn't mature. This is people that never grow up in the Lord. They just stay babies. They stay children. God the Father wants us to grow up, wants us to mature, wants us to stop being childish. Listen, don't stop being childlike. Just stop being childish because there's a huge difference. Right? Childlike is, man, children believe 
things, right? It's just simple faith. When we grow up in age, not spiritual maturity, but we grow up in age and we act like children, not simple faith, but we act immature, we're childish. And the father's like, hey, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop being a baby in the Lord. He wants us to to go from from children to mothers and fathers where we walk with one another. Where I can, with with my life, I can take my, you know, start walking with someone who's new in the Lord, who just met Jesus, and they're a child in in their faith, and we can walk together because I'm a father in the faith, and I can father them and help them grow up, and, and so that they don't, you know, in 10 years, they're not acting the same. They're not childish, but we remain childlike. See, the goal is not just to make it to the end. It's also to be fruitful. It's to multiply. If we allow our eyes to be consumed with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world, then we stunt our own growth. That's when we don't grow up. That's when we stay immature and we don't don't produce any fruit. We have to always keep in mind that this life is but like... It's like, it's a vapor. It's just a, it's a puff of smoke and it's gone. We get, and this is like, if you heard our series on the book of Revelation, this theme came through loud and clear over and over and over. This is not all that there is. This is just a minute, a moment. If you're young, you know, like, like under 40, have a conversation with someone who's over 60 and they will tell you how quickly life went by. So fast. They're like, where did the time go? Because reality is, this is just, and it's gone. But what comes next is forever. That's eternity. So if we get caught up with this, trying to build the best life that I can and have all the stuff and have all the pleasures and have all the leisure and have all those things, there's nothing wrong with those things. But if we're consumed with them, that's the problem. Too many followers of Jesus get caught up living for right now and they ignore eternity. The things of this world, many, many of them, God gave those to us to enjoy. Now the enemy's gotten in there and he's twisted and perverted some of them so they're no longer God-given things to enjoy. Then there's other things that that God's given us to enjoy and we just take it too far. We take it to excess. And when we take it to excess, that thing becomes an idol and we start serving that instead of that serving us. We cannot allow those things to rule our lives. They are supposed to serve our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all those other things that we like, that we enjoy, that the Lord has given for us. They're meant to be for us, but if we seek him first, then he adds all those things. And the Bible said there's no, says there's no sorrow that comes with it because, the, because God, God, God brings prosperity and blessing, but he adds no sorrow to it. If you find the, the, the prosperity outside of the Lord, there's going to be some sorrow that comes with it. I mean, how many people have heard the story of, you know, someone who has built this incredible life, but they lost their whole families and they're laying on their deathbed and we're like, man, it wasn't worth it because they die alone. Psalm 27 and verse four, David wrote this. He said, one thing I've asked from the Lord, this one thing I'll seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. This is the one thing I want, 
This is the one thing I ask for. This is my one desire. I've been praying for you over the last four weeks, maybe. And this is, God dropped this phrase in my, in my heart. And this is what I've been praying for you, that God would give you a holy hunger that you would hunger after him. And so when I come to the Lord and I think about you and I pray for you and I pray for our church, I'm saying, God, would you birth, would you release in them a holy hunger for your presence? That they would go after the one thing. Is the soil of your heart full of weeds that choke out the fruitfulness of your life? If it is, then it's up to me and it's up to you to pull those things out. I make the choice to be consumed by Jesus or by the things of the world. And then the last soil is the good soil, the fertile soil. And this is those that love the truth of God and they apply it to their lives. They receive it excitedly and they hold on to it. They don't just hear it, but they apply it. See, when my heart is soft and tender to the things of the Lord, to the word of God, that those seeds get planted deep inside of me. And it begins producing fruit. It begins to change me. It begins to transform me from the inside out. It's not like slapping lipstick on a pig, but we're, we're changed from the inside out. That's real, true transformation. See, the word of God not only guides my decisions, it determines my decisions. Because it's the standard of our lives. It's the very words of God written for us, for you and I. So when there's something that I read and that I don't agree with in the word, I don't change the word. I change my life. It changes me. I never bend the word around my life to make it you know, easier for me. I bend my life around the word of God. I submit. I surrender. This is what it means to have a heart of good soil, a soft heart. This is what it means to, it's what brings maturity and fruitfulness in my life. The seed sown in me multiplies over a hundred times more than what was sown. But my choice is what kind of soil does that seed fall on? I determine the soil of my heart. Is it hard packed ground that the word can't penetrate? Does it lack the moisture of the Holy Spirit, the watering of God? Or is it full of weeds that prevent fruitful multiplication? Or is the soil of my life good ground? Whatever the condition in this moment, as you sit, you know, and I hope you're doing this, you're asking the Lord, or you're looking at your life being like, man, what is the condition of my heart? The good news is that it only takes one choice to change it. One choice. You choose to make it soft. You choose to seek first Jesus. You choose to pursue the Holy Spirit. It's just one choice. It changes everything. The seed in the story is the word of God. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God for salvation for healing, for blessing, for how do I raise my kids? How do I, how do I live my life? It's the continuous revelation of refining and maturing that the word of God brings as we follow Jesus. I can have good soil in my heart to receive that word or I can be hard-hearted when the word addresses areas in my life like pride, like offense, like anger, 
bitterness, greed. When we hear these things, you know, and we get closed off. We can sit and we can walk with the Lord, but you can hear scriptures and, and sermons on some of these things and we get closed off. And, like, mm, mm. and we, can, we can leave. You can, you can walk out of church like that. Mm. Can't believe he talked about that. Mm. <laughs> Come on, I know, I, I know. I know people walk out of church and they grunt. Mm. Can't believe he talked about money again. Mm. That's next week. <laughs> or you can be soft. And you can be like, you know what? I don't know it all. I'm not perfect. I need to change. I mean, it's honestly, if you're a grumpy person, and I've just been times in my life when I was a grumpy person, you don't have to live that way. Just change. Stop being grumpy. If you don't know how, ask the Lord. Say, Father, like, I don't want to be grumpy anymore. I want to be happy. I want to enjoy my life. We keep our heart, hearts soft and tender. Let me close before I start meddling. <laughs> Listen, it, it's, not, it's not too late to make a change. Whether you're 13 or 91, it's not too late to make a change. As long as you got breath in your lungs, the Lord's not done with you yet. You choose to change the condition of your heart because it's not predetermined. And it's not a result of your environment. Of life circumstances, you choose, I choose. The, the, the truth of the matter is, you have the life that you've chosen. If you don't like your life, choose differently. Maybe you wouldn't be surprised. I'm surprised how often I meet people and they're like not happy with their life, but they don't want to change. You know, like they just make the same decisions. And I'm like, at some point when you stop banging your head against the wall, like there's a better way. Walk through the doorway, right? My life is the sum of the decisions that I've made and there's no blaming anyone else, no blaming anything else. This is called personal responsibility. And can I be blunt? Sometimes it sucks to have personal responsibility. <laughs> but we all have to have it. So let me, let, me, let me close with this. If you're here and you've, you're, you've assessed your life and you're like, man, my heart is hard. I am closed off to God. Maybe it's in all areas or maybe it's just in some areas. Then I'm going to ask, and this is kind of maybe an old school word, but I'm going to challenge you to repent. And really what, what repent means when it's used in the Bible, it means to turn around and go the other way. It's this, it's, this, it's this picture where you're going this way and to repent means to stop, to turn around and go the other way. And so if your heart is hard, I'm, I'm calling you to repent today and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for having a hard heart. Would you soften my heart? I invite you in. Or if maybe you're, you're here and you're, you're like, man, I'm guilty of not actually pursuing the Holy Spirit. And I'm just kind of, I go through the motions. You find me in church, 1030 or for some, you know, 1045. Um, and, and this is where I am every Sunday. Why? This is just what I do. And then you go home and you turn the football game on or, or, or whatever the case might be. But you're just kind of going through the motions and you're guilty of not actually engaging God. Not, not actually taking what we, what we read about in the word and applying it to your life. Sitting with him during the week and just saying, Jesus, I love you. 
I owe you everything. Would you speak to me? So if you're guilty of not, you know, pursuing God and pursuing the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm calling you to repent today, to make a change. Or maybe you're, you're consumed with the cares of life. And you're just, man, I'm just trying to get more stuff. Have my retirement figured out. Have a house and a car and, you know, just all the stuff. I'm trying to have all the stuff. You know, and sometimes as, as parents, we, we get caught up in this, this statement. I just want my kids to have everything that I didn't have. And I get that. I get that heart. But you didn't turn out so bad. And so it's, maybe it's time to redirect your eyes from this to this. So I want just close your eyes for a minute. This is one of those internal you and Jesus moments. It's not, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand so I can see. Holy Spirit, I know you're speaking, and I pray that right now it would just get louder and louder and louder and louder and louder in their hearts and in their ears. That the, ch- that the changes, the choices that need to be made differently, that they would begin to make them. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't beat us up, that you don't guilt us, you don't condemn us, but you invite us into freedom. So for anyone who's, who's feeling that, I break that off in Jesus' name because that's not the Lord. And if I made you feel that way, that was unintentional. I break off shame and guilt and fear and condemnation in Jesus' name. For he welcomes you home. The seat at the table is still there. It hasn't been moved.